Hey, Good Enough listeners, I'm Andrea Burke, your local Good Enough podcast host, and I'm so excited to welcome you to season three of Good Enough. Psalm 9012 says, so teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. The topics surrounding death and grief, while they may be heavy and somber, are really important conversations we need to be having as believers. And so my hope in this season of Good Enough is to help you, and really me, number our days so that we might gain a heart of wisdom. You'll hear stories from people who have faced tragic loss, suffering, unimaginable pain, grief, and they were willing to sit down with me to talk about what these experiences looked like for them and how the grace of God and the goodness of Jesus met them in their pain, in their ministry, in their work, and in their stories. This season, you'll hear from widows, parents who have lost children, those facing a terminal illness, pastors, doctors, a hospice nurse, and more. I really hope you'll join me for this season as we peel back the layers on the reality that we all face. Mortality is a part of our life. So let's sit together and ask God to teach us to number our days so that we can gain some wisdom. This is season three of Good Enough. Hey, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of Good Enough. I'm Andrea Burke, your local Good Enough podcast host, as you well know. Today, I'm really happy to bring to you Evan Welcher as my guest. Evan is the senior pastor of Vine Street Bible Church in Glenwood, Iowa. After losing his wife to cancer, Evan wrote the book Resplendent Bride, chronicling the love and loss of his first marriage. He now lives with his wife, Rachel Welcher, who, if you've been listening to Good Enough for a while, you know was a guest on season two. If you haven't heard that episode, you should definitely go back and listen to it because she's amazing. And Evan and Rachel are two of my favorite people to follow online. So I'm so happy to have Evan on today's episode. Evan, I'm so thrilled to have you today. The floor is yours. Would you please tell us your story? All right. So the topic we're talking about is death. And as a pastor, theologically, talking about death and resurrection is so near to my heart. Um, Firstly, because I think it's so central to the gospel that the mission of the church and people make their church's mission statements into all sorts of things, but at the heart of the mission of any local church ought to be to prepare people for death and resurrection. That's the big picture of the gospel, that Jesus Christ came to give us life, resurrection life, and peace in the midst of terrible circumstances as we live our life under the sun, but ultimately, um, eschatologically, cosmically, uh, life from the grave. You know, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil and to kill death, the death of death. And so theologically, I think just from reading your Bible, this is such an important thing for church people to be talking about. But in my own life and in my own ministry, I've dealt with death a lot. In my work as a pastor, I've done over a hundred funerals because I pastor a very old church. The congregation is old, but it's also a 160 year old church. And we merged with another 160 year old church in a small town. Wow. And what that means is there's just all these people who have like these spider web connections to my church and people die who I don't even know. And for whatever reason, 
in our context, they're still calling pastors to help them delve mm-hmm. through that and, and to grieve well. And so I've done a lot of funerals, even though I haven't been a pastor as long as a lot of guys. Um, but personally, I've dealt with the death of my mom when I was 22 mm-hmm. from cancer and the death of my first wife, Danielle, mm-hmm. when, when she was 30. Mm-hmm. And all of that just really affects how, how you live your life as a Christian and how you deal with the fact that momentum mori is true, you know, mm-hmm. remember death. And, and something that I tell my congregation quite often is that you're all going to die. The, the presence and reality of death is something we should not hide away from yeah. because it affects everything, everything we do in our life and everything we believe. Have you noticed that, um, noticing even in just the American church and aversion to even talking about death? Like, I don't know if this is global or specifically an American thing, but we do not want to talk about death or um, we avoid aging. We generally even tuck the aging away somewhere because we don't want to see them age. Do you see that in your congregation, even as they're an older congregation? Is there an avoidance of that? Sometimes, yeah. And I don't know if that's because senior saints are well aware that Mm -hmm. death is nearby. Um, But I do think sometimes, sometimes people maybe because I'm a repetitive pastor, <laughs> I got a couple of truths that I repeat often. They're like, okay, Evan, we, we know we're going to die. We get it. Um, but when we're talking about the centrality of the claims of the Bible, it, it matters because we're not Lord of our own lives. We can't. One of the first verses that really struck me, I converted from atheism when I was about 18. Wow. And one of the verses that struck me was Isaiah 2.22, which says, of what account is man who has but the breath of life in his nostrils, just meaning that like you're a vapor, like you're here today and gone tomorrow, your breath is in your nose, you know, like you're nobody. Um, But God has life in of himself. Like he is life. And that's why we worship him. Do you think that your experiences with death in your own life affected how you view death? Did those experiences change it or alter it for you um going through your own grief in that regard totally yeah because when when you're a caretaker for somebody who you love and they have a terrible diagnosis and and you're spending all your time as a husband in the hospital sleeping on the floor and and caring for your wife who's facing death it's like, this is part of your life and it affects everything. You know, death is suddenly just part of your life. Cancer is part of your life. And it is so discombobulating to, to have that going on in your life and everybody around you has to be positive and happy. And the only way they can do that is by not talking about what your whole life is revolving around right now. And so I think to help, the fellowship of the suffering who are all around us, people we know and love, we do them a disservice when we we're happy, clappy all the time, yeah. you know, and, and when you're dealing 
who is dying or someone who has died and now you're a widower or you're just someone who's in mourning, you hop in your truck and the Christian radio is just obscenely happy. And that doesn't match up with the Bible, which has lamentations and Ecclesiastes yeah. and Psalms of importation, you know, all this kind yes. of stuff. And so I would say as a pastor and we're all theologians, even though it seems kind of proud and lofty to call yourself that, I think we want the Christian church to reflect what we see in the scriptures. And if we only ever emphasize the happy and the positive, we left half of it out. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I tend to be a more melancholy person anyways. I lean towards melancholy and I find there to be great beauty in some of that shadow place, that tension. And I even find that really that reflecting on my own mortality or being aware of the brevity of life and um, really spending time thinking on that does infuse in me a better appreciation for the beauty of life. Like I, I don't feel that I'm losing anything from the beauty by feeling sad. It actually um, makes it. And I, I know that you're a poet too, so like you totally get this, but there's something about or like you miss something when you push the struggle and the suffering to the fringe and to the edges. Like we're missing a huge piece of who God is, of what he's written in creation or of what he's written on our hearts to know and understand about him and what he wants for us, um, I think. Um, so talk to me about, because I know you've written poetry and you've written about death in these works and I'll link to your book in the show notes, but I would love to hear your thoughts on walking in that tension as you have grieved. And I'm in the belief that grief never really ends. And I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but as we live in a life of carrying that tension, what does that look like as, as you write and as you minister walking in that tension with people? Well, Andrea, I think you're totally right that we are robbing ourselves of the complexity of the fullness of our humanity when we act like you can't be sad. And, you know, I get such a kick out of Twitter. There's this whole sad boy summer movement, <laughs> hashtag sad boy summer. And it's, it's a joke, but like there's some truth to that, that in our humanity and in, in whatever God made us to be, there is heartache in that. And, and so be honest about that helps you to live a more full life. And so one of the problems with the American church, like you mentioned earlier, is that somehow we became a entertainment venue and a pep rally. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't even like high school. I, I don't <laughs> like pep rallies at all. But I think it's okay to be melancholy and mm-hmm. because it's just part of life. Mm-hmm. And it does no one any good to simply drive by the graveyard and act like it's not there, yeah. you know, to drive by the church building and act like part of the function of the church is not funerals, you know, yeah. like this is all part of the ministry of death and resurrection that I feel like the Lord gave to his people Yes, that, that we could be there for people who mm-hmm. are suffering mm-hmm. and that the church should be a shelter for those who are beat up. Yeah. And, and for me, um, writing is part of that, yeah. that I got to get it out. I got to get it on some paper and, and whatever God's mysterious purpose and his sovereign purpose mm-hmm. was that I should have death so close to me mm-hmm. so often. 
I feel like I can serve people if I can articulate what I felt mm-hmm. because that's one of the hard things about grieving is how do you, people ask you how you're doing and what do you even say? How do you articulate this deep pain that you have, this amputation? And particularly for widows and widowers, the scriptures teach that two people become one. Yeah. And to have someone who you're married to die, you know, mm-hmm. it is an amputation. It is to have your heart and soul torn asunder and you're yeah. still walking around. And what do you do with all that human wreckage? So I have tried in, in the things that I've written to articulate that hopefully mm-hmm. it's helpful to people and not just making people sad <laughs> well i know reading what you've written has helped me understand i think for me poetry is a whole different language of communication that i think um it helps communicate things that just even prose or the wor- written word can't quite do the same as poetry can it's a gift from god <sighs> Yes. Yes, it is. Um, it's. I think it's what our hearts need a lot even now. I find myself gravitating in these days of COVID and um, a lot of people who are suffering and struggling that poetry is even more beautiful to me now than it was before. Um, yeah, don't, don't you think that COVID's been so tough because our society has no idea what to do with lament and mourning? And, absolutely. And so it just comes out in the worst ways. Yes. Yeah. I I think so also because we have done a successful job for the most part at pushing death, death to the fringes. Like I think we were seeing images of people in body bags. We were we, we were seeing funerals happening on TV and grieving people on TV constantly and we still are and we're still in the thick of it in a lot of ways and I don't think we understand even the communal mourning that we've gone through as a culture of um, of what we knew to be what was and what is now. And um, everyone's just kind of like, quick, quick, like, make it go away, make it go away, which is the opposite way to deal with pain and suffering. And I just wonder what that will look lo- look like for us as a culture as we move forward, because I think everyone's like, let's go back to normal. Let's go back to normal. And I'm kind of like, I don't know if that's a thing. Normal wasn't good. <laughs> right. <laughs> true yeah and it's revealed like i said i pastor a lot of senior saints it's revealed the idolatry of youth Mm. because people are literally saying well you know it's only killing people over 80 and it's like (sighs) well don't you love any 80 year olds a lot of people don't put themselves around 80 year olds so it doesn't seem like such a big deal and this whole thing has revealed so much horror in the soul of America. Wow. Yeah. Goodness. Yeah. I've seen that too, that, that mindset toward the elderly and the older generation who in my mind are like a treasure. I think of some of the older saints that I know, the knowledge, the wisdom, the perseverance that they carry within them. There's, um, there's one woman, actually, she's going to be a guest on this podcast, but she goes to my church and she is a woman who I'm like in times like this, like I've called her all year. <laughs> I've been like, tell me, tell me, tell me how I should be feeling. What should I be hoping for? What should I be praying for? What should we be praying for? Because I know that she has tested and true faith and she's not going to feed me just like a euphemism. And she's also going to smack me around a little bit. She was like, um, Andrea, 
what does the word say? She did that to me this summer. She's like, stop looking at your phone and pick up the Bible, knock it off. And I was like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> but, um, but I think that you're right. Like there's this idolatry in youth across the board and we want to stay young. And yet we really don't love the young among us either. So there's this like strange dichotomy of children are also a nuisance, but also we want to be children forever. So it's this kind of strange American quandary we have for ourselves. Um, so, okay. I'm curious. I know, I know for a fact we have some widows and widowers listening to this podcast. Some of them are friends of mine. And I guess I'd love to hear from you. What would you want to say to encourage them in this season, whether it's fresh or it's been a few years, um, or maybe it's been 20 years. Do you have any encouragement for those who are listening or having gone through that yourself? Any thoughts for them? You said earlier that that you felt like mourning is something we just carry around with us, that there's some pains that are so deep that they never go away, you know, until resurrection day when Jesus is going to wipe away our tears. And I would just tell them that that's okay. Mm. You don't, you don't got to fix yourself. And anyone who's gone through that as, as a widower or widow, you know, that it can't be fixed. And I think that's part of the sadness is walking Mm. around knowing that. And most other people don't know that and so all you can do is maybe not bring it up so often because people don't want to hear about it (laughs) and it is a bizarre thing to feel like you've been torn asunder and the world just keeps spinning (sighs) and you're just existing and everyone else is going back to normal and people assume that you've somehow gotten over it just because you don't want to burden them with saying it's been five years and it hurts and it's been 20 years and it still hurts (laughs) i would just tell them that I don't think they're being disobedient to the Lord. I don't think they're sinning. I don't think they're any more messed up or broken than anyone else going through through anything else, you know, Mm -hmm. just that it's okay. Mm, Yeah. And I do believe that the Lord is near. I don't say that as a a bandaid, you know, people will say those things like, yeah, your whole life got blown up, but uh, hey, you must be super spiritual now. You know, there's that mentality, but mm. but I do believe that for Christians, we stand on the promises of Scripture. Yeah. He is near to the brokenhearted, yeah. and that's hard to flesh out as to what it means practically, but it is a promise, and and I feel His presence mm. when when everything else has been stripped away. I, I believe that He actually is near, and it does also remind me of John six, when everyone else has abandoned Jesus. John 6, uh, 68, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And you look at that and it's like, well, is that just empty desperation from Peter's part where he's like, where else am I going to go? There's (laughs) nowhere else to go. I think that's a man who's found his home. Yeah. And he doesn't want to go anywhere else. Yeah. And that's especially true for the fellowship of the suffering where mm-hmm. he's with you and, and there's nowhere else you would even want to go. So don't try. Yeah. That's one of my favorite verses. I, I love that verse because I think that about Peter who I don't think this was like this sarcastic, like, where else am I going to go? I, I really think he was like, We've got nothing else, Lord. Like, we've put it all on you. 
And I think for those who are suffering or for those who maybe haven't felt it yet, but really need a place to begin to build a foundation of understanding suffering, I think that's a key part of it. It's realizing that without Christ, um, he has to be like, he has to be our bedrock. He has to be that place that everything else is built on. And, um, and so I think that having that as part of it to know, you know, in our worst suffering, you know, I think of some moments of my life in my life where I've experienced the worst suffering to have that bedrock of Christ. It's, it's not an empty euphemism. It really is like, this is all I've got. I'm just holding on to this at this point, like the mast on the ship in the middle of the storm. I'm like, tie me to the mast. I've got nothing else. This is it. All we have is Christ. And he's all we got and what we have is good. And in the body of Christ, you know, it's, it's so important and you can edit this out, but to be perfectly blunt, uh, suffering is not a pissing contest. Yes. And, and you see this so much on Twitter and social media and even in churches where it's like, okay, I was married to Danielle under three years mm. and like a year into our marriage, the cancer came and the rest was just oh hospitals gosh. and chemo and throwing up and <laughs> wasting away from not being able to eat. And it was immensely horrible to watch mm. someone you love suffer that way. And there are other people who have been married 60 years. Mm-hmm. We ought not ever look at someone else's pain and compare ourselves. It's mm-hmm. not about comparing mm-hmm. because people hurt in different ways. Mm-hmm. And in my writings, I talk a lot about the great was and the great never was. Mm-hmm. And among people who are mourning, there are people who had it. They had happiness and that was taken away. And they're looking back at that and saying, I wish I could get that back. Mm-hmm. And on the other end, there are people who something got taken away too soon or it never happened. The great never was. And they're yeah. mourning these things, which are ultimately good desires that yes. never happened. Yeah. Whether that, you know, a lot of times it's singles who they want mm-hmm. the marriage or it could be married people who are infertile. And it's a great mm-hmm. never happened. And it was yeah. a good thing. And I wanted it. Yeah. And what's so detrimental to our community is for people who had it and lost it and the people who wanted it and never had it to see each other as enemies. Yeah. Because ultimately, at the end, we're all just dust. And it was all just a lot of pain. Yeah. And the only thing that will make it better is for us to comfort one another with the truth of the gospel. Yes. And to be on one another's side. I, I think of a woman in our church. She passed away this past fall. She was in her 80s, a beloved sister. We love her so much. And a few years ago, she shared at one of our women's events, she had lost her husband after a long marriage, 53 years or 60 years, maybe. I'm sorry, I can't quite remember. But I remember uh, Newlywed stood up at that event and asked her, what advice do you have for a newlywed couple who, you know, we're just starting out, we want to make the best of our marriage, And that she said that she struggled with fear about losing her husband, about living life without him. And she wanted to hear from this older woman. And I'll never forget because she was just this sweet older sister. And she said, "Um, you're never going to feel like it was enough time. And she said after 60 years or however long it was, it wasn't enough time. We didn't get to do all of the things. Even after we did the things, it just never felt like enough time. And I thought, man, that's, I think, I think there's something about grief in that, that you know, people want to be like, 
how are they still struggling or why are they still sad about this and why are they still mourning that person and the truth is um it just it won't feel like enough time no matter if you get a year or five years or 20 years or 63 years and love is created by god and it's a big thing that doesn't just go away when someone leaves this earth and i just thought that was really beautiful yeah sure yeah i mean part of suffering and being around death is a keen awareness that life is very short And so there's always this mix of, I'm not ready for that at all, but also God has given us good gifts mm-hmm. and we need to chase after those things. If, if someone's worth loving and, and you want them and need them, you got to go after it, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I most certainly wasn't ready to just date, mm-hmm. but, but I met Rachel online through our mutual writing. And we just started mm-hmm. talking about the things that we had written and she's very special. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's one of these things where it's like fear and trembling, you know, mm-hmm. the idea of being a widower and asking someone out and letting them know how you feel. It's just appallingly frightening. Right. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, life is very short and mm-hmm. I felt like she was worth it. And, <laughs> and I do have a lot of opinions about, um, men and women and particularly men not stepping up and these poor single women who (laughs) do you want to do a whole podcast episode on that because i'm sure i know i have a lot of women who would love for you to talk to that too (laughs) that's i mean that's a whole thing right (laughs) yeah and but uh but i think it is true and and even though i was in just a lot of pain you know i was a mess rachel was safe and Mm -hmm. so that's why her and i worked out because a lot of, you know, in the dating world, you can Google it. Like so many women are like, stay away from widowers. They're messed up. Oh, really? That's well, they don't terrible. want anything to do with that. But Rachel had suffered in her life mm-hmm. through, through a divorce that she didn't want mm-hmm. and being abandoned. Mm-hmm. And I had suffered in my own way through mm-hmm. cancer, the death of my first wife. Mm-hmm. And so early on, even in our friendship, the foundation of it was it's okay to hurt. It's okay to mourn. It's okay to talk about these things. Mm -hmm. And that's been true throughout our whole marriage that she can talk about and write about this divorce, this horrible thing that Mm -hmm. happened to her. Mm -hmm. And I can write about my first wife Mm -hmm. because we're not going to be jealous of one another for the fact that we used to love different people Mm -hmm. and through different circumstances, they were taken away. Mm -hmm. And so all that to say is, Rachel and I happened because we knew we were safe for each other. Mm. And I think for people who are in in mourning, you got to find safe people. Mm -hmm. And the foundation of our marriage is that we, there was trust and acceptance and the fact that it was okay to be hurt. Um, Okay. I have a question here and you can feel free to not answer it. Just say, I don't want to answer that. (laughs) And we can edit this out if need be. So, um, you're married to Rachel. How did you know you were ready to remarry? Like, are you willing to talk about that at all? <laughs> Rachel's an exceptional woman of God and mm-hmm. an incredibly deep thinker, you know. And so all of this is because, okay, we had to think through all these things. Mm-hmm. And and how do we want to live for the Lord? Is mm-hmm. Are we going to be jealous of dead people or or someone who was taken away. And that, that goes for both of us that 
we both mourn people who were taken away. And mm -hmm. foundational to our marriage is that, firstly, we're both writers. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be talking about this stuff. <laughs> and, and when we knew for it to work, like, we got to be okay with that. Mm -hmm. Like, they're going to be talking about this thing, this person that was taken away. And we can't be insecure and jealous that, mm -hmm. that they used to love somebody else. And so it really goes back to, can the human heart grow bigger to accept more love? Mm -hmm. And Rachel and I have discovered that's true. Like mm -hmm. you, you can grow to love, yeah. even though it seems like no way I'm never going to love again. Mm -hmm. And that's a gift from God. And we definitely praise him and, and give him credit um, for that. I, I have to tell you, I know I'm not friends with you guys like in real life. I wish I could be in real life friends with you guys because I love both of your online personas. Anyways, um, one of the most moving and beautiful things to me was uh, recently, probably earlier this year, I guess, you were sharing about Danielle and you were sharing about losing her and Rachel was like right there. She was supporting you and loving you publicly in this really beautiful, beautiful way. Like I just, it, it gave me this glimpse of maybe just your marriage or what that might look like. It was just so beautiful. And so uh, the best word I can think of is like peaceful. Like she was allowing your grief, but also joining in that because she loves you. But it wasn't like she wasn't coming off as like she wasn't threatened. She wasn't trying to posture herself. It was just this beautiful union that I could see <laughs> from like all the way far away through the internet and it just struck me as so beautiful um, and, and that's to your guys's credit like to what you have built in your home your family values that you love one another through that grief it was just so beautiful i i have no other point in telling you that yeah it, and that's a that's so true that the lord can bring beauty out of all this destruction and that's a mm -hmm. motif that we see all throughout the scriptures mm -hmm. Whether it be in this life or not, yes. you know, it might be resurrection day. Yep. And that's the promise that the book of Revelation talks about. Can you believe that our king and our savior, like this mighty warrior, he appears in Revelation. It's going to be wiping tears away. Oh my God. And that's such an intimate and beautiful moment that when you die, you're going to be aware of all the pain you had. Mm. And he wipes your tears away. And it also reminds me of Psalm 27, 13, which says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. And I don't really even know what the land of the living means. Does that mean here on earth or does it mean in resurre Resurrectionville, the land of the living, you know? <laughs> um, but the promise of scripture is clear that the suffering we endure does not last forever mm -hmm. and in fact it can grow you and and make you a richer deeper person mm -hmm. yes that being said i never wish for suffering on people yeah. because sometimes it makes people bitter and brittle and broken yeah and and so like you'll hear pastors say oh you know what this country needs needs some good persecution <laughs> and I'm like, yeah right <laughs> You don't know that that's going to grow the church deeper, more spiritual, you know. Yeah. So suffering is an odd thing, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, it, yeah. what it's going to do to you. It makes me think of just evidence that even in our suffering and in our sorrow, 
there's even yet like more beauty to unfold as like the Lord is even in that. He has more beauty to come out of it. It doesn't it doesn't have to be like the suffering and sorrow isn't a separate piece from the beauty. It is the place where it actually blooms out of. Like that is just stunningly beautiful to me. A, a different way of viewing name it and claim it. Totally <laughs> <laughs> <Only> opposite. <laughs> name the suffering, claim the own oh, that no. suffering. <laughs> Yeah, maybe that's that's my melancholy side coming out. I'm like, there's <laughs> under every bush, there's suffering. <laughs> but you know, that's so true because just thinking about being a pastor and having a lot of senior saints, it takes years to actually get to know people. And you mm-hmm. find out that Bill, who sits in the back, like went through this terrible thing 40 years ago, and you've been in the same church for 10 years and you had no idea. Mm-hmm. And so you start digging into people's lives and pretty soon you just find out inspiration that they're so strong um and that they keep on going a different way of viewing name it and claim it (laughs) (laughs) opposite name the suffering claim own that suffering (laughs) yeah maybe that's that's my melancholy side coming out like there's (laughs) under every bush there's suffering But you know, that's so true because just thinking about being a pastor and having a lot of senior saints, it takes years to actually get to know people. And you Mm -hmm. find out that Bill, who sits in the back, like went through this terrible thing 40 years ago, and you've been in the same church for 10 years and you had no idea. Mm -hmm. And so you start digging into people's lives and pretty soon you just find out inspiration that they're so strong. Um, and then they keep on going. Yeah, and it's so like ordinary and common too. Like it's not this, I think people view it as this one-time thing. Like maybe I'll go through it once in my life, but um, once we start connecting with the body more and paying attention, it's everywhere. Like it's just everywhere. This past year I was struck with um, every person I talked to had a story that after you waited a few minutes of like, you know, the, oh, yeah, we're doing good. We're fine. But then you had the pause, you know, the sigh and then actually what the suffering is. And um, I don't know, maybe this year gave everyone permission to suffer a little bit more. I don't know. I just I, I just wouldn't wish suffering on people either. I know that I just wish people would realize that it's okay to acknowledge what they're going through might be suffering, too. Maybe it's good to face it like this is hard this is bad and I'm scared. I don't know. It's okay to be afraid of the process of dying because the more that you're near to it, you realize it's a painful and often terrible thing for your body to go through. Mm -hmm. The hope of the gospel is that on the other side, you're home yeah, and that you are not suffering in vain. So however you die, if it's quick or slow, you are, on a journey to a good place, the father's house, many, many rooms there. And it's going to be good when you get there, you'll want to be there. It'll be worth it. Mm -hmm. No matter what carnage you go through, it'll be worth it when you're there. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it makes you unspiritual to say, I don't want to suffocate to death. You know, I don't want to be on oxygen. I don't want to have to fight for a breath. I, I don't think that makes you unspiritual at all. I don't even think it's ultimately unspiritual when you have, you know, people who are 
really wanting to exercise and eat well because they don't want to suffer bad health and a slow decline. Um, I think the church is often a little bit too judgy against one another. Dying is a horrible thing. And this is why 1 Corinthians 15 calls it an enemy. Yeah. I mean, death ain't no friend of mine, ain't no friend of yours. Mm-hmm. And it is a terrible thing to go through. And I think we should acknowledge that while also acknowledging that Jesus came to defeat death. Yeah. And that ultimately the beauty of resurrection is that this very body, which at some point will betray us, will mm-hmm. be restored. Mm-hmm. That we're not disembodied souls just floating around in heaven forever, but resurrection day is coming. And that everything that death has stolen, everything will be restored. And so I do think about my first wife and how through the leukemia and the lymphoma, she lost her hair and the chemo destroys any fast growing cell. And so her skin was quite damaged and her teeth were damaged through all the treatments and they did bone marrow biopsies. I mean, they just poked and prodded her and, cut open her back to look at the tumor and her body was destroyed Mm. slowly year after year, quite a bit through medicine, (laughs) the best intentions of medicine, the treatments often worse than the disease. It's, it's true. Mm. And that very body will be restored Mm. through the resurrection life of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Easter is not just a story that makes us feel good about Jesus and this terrible thing that happened to him. But Easter is for everyone we've lost. That that actual body that suffered so much will be restored. I can't wait to see that. Yes, and especially that generation. Man, that generation, like, they've been through so much, so much history, so much knowledge, so much experience, and, like, a lot. They're not blogging. They're not tweeting about it. They're just living their life, you know? They're living their lives. And it takes time to sit down and listen to someone's story and get to know them and have patience. And um, But I just remember I used to volunteer at a nursing home um, just to go visit and just to sit and listen to stories. Like, tell me a story, any story. Tell me about your life. I'll listen. And the stories that people would share were just like nonchalant of great huge suffering and to think, man, I know nothing of suffering. What it's actually going to look like, but I just imagine like bodies exploding out of graves and there's tombstones flying and these people are (laughs) coming out and who knows what it's going to be like. But uh, it reminds me of first Thessalonians four, which is oddly enough, this passage that people make about the rapture, but it's it's really about resurrection day. Yep. And can I just read this to you? Oh, please. Yes. It's a, it's a couple of verses here, but it says, but we do not want you to be uninformed brethren about those who are asleep. I love that the Bible views death as a nap. Right. <laughs> it's a nap. We shed so many tears about it, but in the divine plan of God, it's you're taking a nap <laughs> so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. Mm. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, 
that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. That's resurrection day. These are the people we know and love. Like Danielle's buried down in St. Louis. Mm -hmm. That's where her grave is. And she's going to come out of that grave Mm -hmm. restored. And then those who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them. The the dead who have risen Mm -hmm. will be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And there's this big family reunion in the sky. Mm -hmm. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Yes. I can't for the life of me understand why people want to argue about pre-trib or post-trib <laughs> or a millennial when it's about the dead being restored yes. to us and to the Lord. And that we ought to be encouraging and comforting one another with that. Like that, that scripture literally says, use this verse. This is a comfort to us. It shouldn't be something you're afraid of. We're not playing pranks about it, youth group. Like this is the comfort of the Lord for us on Resurrection Day. Um, okay, so you reminded me that I had a I had quite a couple of listeners reach out to me and ask if anyone would be willing to speak out about create cremation, not creation, cremation, and how it relates to the resurrection of the body. And so I thought I'd throw that to you. Do you have any thoughts on that? You know, I would say that the Lord is very powerful and that he can put the pieces back together again, whether you're a skeleton or a pile of ash or in the Bible talks about the sea giving up the dead. Like if you die at sea, there ain't nothing left of you, you know, your fish food. (laughs) And so the Lord is powerful enough to put all the pieces back together and he will. Yeah, I feel the same way. Like we're dust, returning to dust. So on Resurrection Day, he created, I mean, he created man out of dust once. Surely he can do it again. I don't think that's beyond his reach. I think the whole point is death is even further beyond cremation. Like if you think the body can't be returned from cremation, then you're probably going to struggle to believe that death can be conquered and resurrection happens. Like Jesus took care of the biggest issue, the rest we can trust with the Lord. I don't think he's going to be like, oh, man, I didn't plan for that part of it. <laughs> <laughs> when did they invent fire? This is terrible. <laughs> yeah, what were they thinking? Um, Evan, I really appreciate you coming on this podcast. I'm so thankful to have had you. Um, thank you for sharing and encouraging the listeners and pointing everyone to Jesus. And um, because I do genuinely believe that Jesus is our only hope. And I'm not banking on anything else in this life or the life hereafter. Like, I want to be with Jesus and I will look forward to that day while I'm here. May that attitude grow in the church. Yes. All yes. these adventures and missing the point that we see. Yes. Yep. No, Lord, help us to, to remember. So, okay. Thank you, Evan, so much. And I really appreciate you joining me today. It was fun. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Good Enough. For more information about today's episode, check out the show notes where I try to post links to my guests' information, any books we discuss, any podcasts we reference, and so much more. As always, if you need to reach me, you can email andrea at graceroadchurch.org. Good Enough is a resource of Grace Road Church in Rochester, New York, and I'm so happy to serve you through this podcast. Keep listening, leave a comment or a review, let me know you're here, and say hi. I think that was good enough.